turn our Bibles this morning. We're going to look in two places of Scripture. Uh, first, find with me uh, Revelation chapter number 19, Revelation 19. And then you can put a marker there. We'll get to that later uh, in the message. And then we're going to begin uh, this morning in Luke chapter number 2. Uh, I want you to uh, be able to find Revelation 19 quickly. So uh, go ahead and mark that uh, in your Bible so you can get to it quickly. Uh, but we're going to read our text this morning out of Luke chapter number 2. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, let me just say this morning's message is going to be uh, a little unusual. Um, it's not going to be unusual to where you get out early, so let me just uh, take that off of the table. Uh, that would be unusual. It's going to be unusual in the uh, delivery, un unusual in the message itself. Uh, I am going to read a lot of scripture uh, in the message. I will have a uh, lengthy in introduction, and then most of the message is going to be the reading of scripture, and then I'll make uh, two, two statements at the end of the message, and uh, it could be unusual where we could get out early. We will not go beyond the normal time, uh, but I just wanted to, uh, you stay with me this morning, and I believe uh, we will accomplish what I think the Lord would have us accomplish this morning. Uh, let's look first in Luke chapter number 2, very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, referred to as the Christmas story. We find the uh, birth of our Savior. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly... There is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Let's read verse number 11 again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This morning I want to bring a message, and I want to point uh, to obviously to our Savior this morning. But I've given this message this title, Jesus has come and he's coming again. Jesus has come and he's coming again. Father, I pray uh, that you would have your way in this service. May the Spirit of God lead me and guide me, direct me. May I say only what should be said this morning. But Father, may we let the scripture speak to us. May we let the Spirit of God stir our heart. Father, you teach us in your word that you know the heart of every man. In this service this morning, 
You know every individual who has called on your son, who has put their faith in your son. Those of us who have done that, we belong to you. But Father, you also know the hearts of men who have yet to do that. Maybe this morning they depend on their own works. Maybe they, maybe they depend on religion. Maybe they just have no idea how to get to you. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would work in their heart this morning, that they might by faith be saved. And Father, may we be reminded that, uh, yes, while we celebrate a birth, uh, there is another day coming, a day when our Savior will return again as a conquering king. And Father, may your will be done this morning, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Obviously, the Christmas season is uh, very much upon us in just a few days. Uh, we'll celebrate Christmas. And however you celebrate it is, is, is not up for discussion this morning, but of course we are reminded of the birth of our Savior. It is uh, what with the emphasis that we put on this time of year. We find the account of the birth of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter number 2. We often, uh, it's a tradition to read it to our families and put, our, put the emphasis uh, at the right place at this time of season. But let me remind all of us, this isn't something we should give attention to one day out of the year, but we should be reminded constantly of the birth of the arrival of our Savior. We find this account, it's a very familiar account, those shepherds, and they had no idea what they were going to uh, be witness to that day. Uh, going about their business, keeping their sheep, and then the announcement that the Savior has been born. Then that heavenly host opened up and sang. Now, I've heard a lot of good choirs. We hear what I think is the best choir, our choir, every single Sunday. But I promise you, that choir was a good choir. Singing in announcement of praising God of the Savior had come. We know this is the birth of our Savior. We know why our Savior came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came with a purpose. He came with, with, a, with a goal in mind, and that was to pay the sin of all men. Uh, he was born, as we find this account in Luke chapter number 2, and uh, these men were happy about it, and these men rejoiced about it, but not everybody was happy at the birth of our Savior. I think of King Herod and how Herod began to hear of, of, of the talk of the, the Savior has arised. The king of the Jews is here. Uh, the rightful heir to all that God has is here. The Messiah is here. And begin to hear rumblings of that. And he did not like that others would talk about another king besides himself. He thought, in temporal terms, somebody is here to take my earthly throne. But that's not who had come. The King of kings and Lord of all lords had come with a purpose in mind. And Herod had sent that decree uh, trying to uh, kill the Christ child and, and let word be known that he was looking for him. But by the wisdom of God, uh, Joseph and Mary, they, they, they took aside the child and, and, and hid him. And those wise men that are often sung of, they came bearing those gifts to the Christ child, worshiping the king. We find not a whole lot in Scripture that tells us of the child of Christ as a child, a little bit as a, as a younger man, but the emphasis is on his earthly ministry. And as we think about the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to think of the miracles. I love reading of the miracles of our Savior. Uh, there's something about when you read through the Gospels and what Christ did, that supernatural work that Christ did. 
I think of the first recorded miracle, turning that water into wine. You think of all the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, and what a sight that had to be. All of those men and their families in taking those, just those few little pieces of bread and just a couple of fish and blessing them and multiplying them. And can you imagine having those baskets and serving and serving and serving, knowing what we started with? What a miracle that Christ did. But I like to think of those personal miracles. When Jesus touched the blind eyes and they could see. Jesus ministered to those that were sick and palsied and were lame and those that were diseased and immediately they were made whole. When I think of the miracles of our Savior, a name that pops to my mind is the name Jairus. And the faith of a man when his daughter was, was sick and his daughter uh, was going to die and, and just his faith and his, and his daughter was made whole. The, disciple, the, 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 the miracles that Christ did. When I think of the miracles of we read in the Gospels, we must pause for just a moment and think about the miracles in our own life. Boy, if you're saved this morning, that miracle of salvation that only Christ could perform. We think of the earthly ministry of our Savior. You think of the miracles. Can you imagine being an eyewitness to what Christ had done? But not only do I think of the miracles, I think of the men as Christ began his earthly ministry. I think of those disciples, those fishermen, the tax collector, those that didn't have uh, any uh, great characteristic that you would even think anything about them, but they were called by the master. And how those fishermen, they dropped their nets and they left everything that they had. And all of those that came from different walks and different societies as the Lord bid them to follow him, they forsook everything and everybody just to follow the Son of God. Can you imagine the sessions that they sat in as Jesus spoke, as Jesus talked? Can you imagine the difference that took place in their life just being in the presence of the Son of God? Be honest with you this morning as I look at the Scripture and I look at the Gospels and I try and imagine with this mind that I have Jesus performing the miracles and walking on the water and healing the sick. That's an amazing thing to see those transformations. But was there a greater transformation? I'm taking an old rough fisherman by the name of Peter and him being transformed into a son of God, being transformed into a child of God, being transformed into a preacher. God's greatest work, yes, he conquered the sea and Yes, he could speak with the authority, peace be still, and the, the wind stopped blowing, and the waves stopped crashing, and the thunder ceased to make a sound. Yes, he spoke with authority over his cre cre uh, creation. But can you imagine the transformation? And, and, and if you're saved this morning, this ought to register with you how Christ could transform a dirty, rotten old sinner, a man with no hope, a man with no future, a man with nothing good about him. And just to be in the presence of the Son of God, what a transformation. Is this the, the, the unlearned fisherman? You read in the book of Acts, and it puzzled the religious scholars that these men, they proceeded to be ignorant 
and unlearned, without an education. They hadn't been in the religious schools, but who they had been with was the Son of God. Who they did sit at the feet of was not a scholar, was not someone with a lot of degrees after their name, but it was the written Word of God, the, the, the living Word of God they had spent time with in the change that took place in the lives of those men. The training as Christ invested in others. Well, I think of that earthly ministry of the child that was born in the, and laid in the manger that we find in Luke chapter number 2. As he performed the miracles, he invested in men. But the message that he preached, the message that he taught, what was that message? The message was why he came. The message was who he was. The message was the fulfillment of prophecy is here. The message was, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. His ministry was the message that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be that Savior. He came to be that sin sacrifice, that which those Jews had seen the symbol of over and over and taking that spotless lamb in the blood that was shed. That was a picture now, the fulfillment of what that picture represented is now walking on this earth, is now teaching the people, is now the days are counting down as he gets closer and closer to fulfilling the, the reason why he came, his ministry of miracles, his ministry of, 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 of reaching men, his ministry, the message of who he was. And friend, this morning, let me remind all of us here, Christ is the greatest message that's ever preached. Christ is the greatest story that's ever told. He is above all names. He gets to the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes and he prays and he takes those that inner circle with him. And I remind you what the scripture tells us as he prayed. He, sweat, uh, he had sweat drops of blood. He asked his father and bid him to let this cup pass from me. But then we find the submission of the Son of God to his heavenly Father, not my will, but thine. And then when realizing that traitor Judas, who now was possessed by Satan himself, had betrayed the Son of God for those few pieces of silver, that the mob came with swords and staves to arrest the Son of God. And how Judas, when that mob approached, kissed the cheek of Jesus. And Christ, who we read of in Luke chapter number 2, the Christ child born in an inn, the Christ child that that heavenly choir sang about is, not, is now taken into the custody of sinful men. No, we find the trial of Jesus Christ. I've often wondered... If Mary and Joseph had any idea of what was coming in the future. We find the disciples, as much as Christ taught, as much as Christ said, they were taken completely off guard at what is taking place. This is the king of kings. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. 
This is the Messiah. We believe this is the Son of God. And now, the creation is going to put the Creator on trial. The creation is going to accuse the Creator. Sinful man is going to accuse a perfect man. Wicked men is going to accuse the perfect, spotless Son of God. Jesus is taken before the religious scholars and the rulers of that day. And he is questioned and, and he, is, he is accused and he answers them not a word. He, 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 he takes their ridicule. He takes their, uh, their, their, their questions and their accusations. And when he did respond very quickly and very succinctly, I think of that guard who would, who would, who would, who would hit the, and smoke the, the face of Jesus and, 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 and admonished him for the perceived disrespect to the chief priest. Then they would mock him. You know the story. He comes before Pontius Pilate. And that ruler tries the best he can to absolve himself of any responsibility. You find the declaration by this ruler, I find no fault in him. He goes to that mob and he asks them, Shall I release to you Barabbas? Shall I release to you Jesus Christ? And that mob said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. What shall I do with this one called the Christ? Crucify him. Crucify him. Friend, we've come a long way now from Luke chapter number 2. When the heavens opened up, and that heavenly choir sang, and all those rejoiced glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The Christ child is no longer a child. He's no longer a growing boy. He is now, in, not just in his earthly ministry, his purpose for coming to this earth is now at hand. And as Pontius Pilate delivers him to be crucified, oh, I think... If you go through and you read the account of the crucifixion of our Savior, if you can read it, if you can talk about it, and you can think about it, and it not turn your heart, friend, there's something wrong as you think about the Son of God who left heaven, who left the throne to come to this earth. This time of year we put the emphasis, but, but don't forget the beatings that He withstood. Men would grab his beard and pluck it out. Individual after individual would take their fist and they would hit the Son of God. We read of it, but could you imagine being in the presence of it? The sound of flesh hitting flesh. This is not a sinful man we're speaking of. This is God's Son. This is the Son of God. This is the same man that said, Peace be still. And the storm ceased. This is the same man that rose, that, that, but through his power, the dead rose and they had life again. 
This is the same one who had healed the sick. The same one who had healed the blind. He's now whipped with a cat of nine tails. That instrument that inflicted so much pain on his victim. Those long nine leather strands and tied at the end was a piece of sharp stone or something to that effect to where it would wrap around the body, it would grab hold of the flesh. And then when that man administering the beating would jerk away, it would literally jerk away hunks of flesh. Say, Pastor, I wasn't expecting this on the Sunday before Christmas this morning. Oh, friend, he came and was laid in a manger. He was worshipped as a child. But let's not lose fact. Let's not lose sight of why he actually came. And as he endured that beating by the, 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 that, that cat of nine tails, many would not even survive that beating. Then as a method of torture and mockery, they constructed that crown of thorns. And they beat that crown of thorns into the head of our Savior. They mocked him with the purple robe. They mocked him and jeered at him and spit on him. And it came time for Christ to carry his cross to the place where he'd be crucified. And yet, because of what he had endured, they grabbed a man from the crowd. He would carry the cross of Christ to that place where he would be crucified. And then if you could imagine in your mind the child that was born and laid in a manger. Now, as a man, having performed miracles, lived a perfect, sinless life, would be laid on that cruel cross. And his hands would be nailed to that cross. His feet would be nailed to that cross. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the Son of God. I'm talking about the one that we read of in Luke chapter number 2. I'm talking about the one where the heavens opened and they shouted and they sang praises, glory to God. I'm talking about the child, the small child that those wise men came and they worshipped. He's now stretched out on that instrument of torture and that instrument of death that old cruel cross, and as he's lifted towards the heaven and that cross is dropped into place, now the Son of God, not even recognizable as a man, is on display for all of the world to see, for all of the mockers and the jeers and all those who he had come to save. Now he is on that cruel cross. We think of the fact that he is there to bear the sins of man. He is there, and as the sins of man come upon him, the skies turn to darkness. Scripture tells us that even his father turns his back because the man who knew no sin became sin. While he's on that cross, gets to a point where Jesus speaks the words, it is finished. 
then our Savior gave up the ghost, the Scripture tells us. And I remind you here, man did not take the life of Jesus. Man is not capable of taking the life of the Son of God. Jesus said, it is finished. I give my life to the people who are putting me through this. I give my life for those who have no hope without me. I give my life for the very ones who nailed me to this old cross. I give my life to those that are becoming and have not yet have life throughout all of eternity. I give my life for sinful man. It was at that moment the veil in the temple was torn in twain. You say, Pastor, what's the significance of that? Because it had been practiced during that Old Testament time for a priest to take a spotless lamb and for a priest to shed the blood of that spotless lamb and for the priest to go behind the veil in behalf of all the people, uh, give that sacrifice and that shed blood for the sins that men had committed. But now there is a great high priest who would take his own blood and sprinkle his own blood on the mercy seat of God. And that blood today still speaks on behalf of you and I. See, there was no necessity for a picture anymore. There is no need for a lamb to be slain anymore because the lamb of God, the perfect lamb had come. Yes, the same Christ we see in Luke chapter number 2. The same one that you'll see the nativity scenes to remind us that he came. The same one has now been nailed to a cross given his life. A man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea begs for the body of Christ and Christ is placed in a borrowed tomb. Many preachers have said this long before me, so this is not original, but I like it enough, I'll repeat it. He was placed in a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to need it very long. Three days later, Mary comes to the place where they lay him. She finds the stone rolled away. She finds one clothed in white raiment. And he says to Mary, he is not here. He is risen. The same Jesus that said, it is finished. And he gave his life for a man. Is the same Jesus who is no longer in that tomb. The same Jesus that has power over death and hell is the same Jesus that we read of in Luke chapter number 2. The same Jesus that was placed in a manger. The same Jesus, the shepherds, were witness to that great choir as they sang. He is the same Jesus who paid our sin debt, who rose from the dead. Can you imagine what must have been going through the mind of Mary? When he, she hears those words, he is not here. He is risen. But Mary almost stumbles into a man, supposing him to be the gardener. And our Savior says to Mary, It is I. It is I. The Son of God 
is risen from the dead. The Son of God has conquered death. But our minds must go back this morning to those men that Christ reached. Those men who Christ bid to leave all and to follow Him. Those men who dropped their fishing nets. They dropped their way of life to follow the Son of God only to see Him arrested. Only to see and be witness to the cruelty that He endured. They knew in their heart that He was the Son of God. They had witnessed the miracles. They had seen what He had done. Now those men had been scattered out of fear of their own life. After the resurrection, they are gathered together in the upper room. And without an announcement, without hearing the creak of a hinge as a door opened, suddenly in their presence is the same one who they witnessed stand on the bow of a ship in the midst of a storm and say, Peace, be still. All of a sudden, in their midst is the same one who first bid them, Come and leave your way of life and follow me. In their midst is the same one who they had seen the power as he bid Lazarus to come forth from the grave and he had conquered death in the life of Lazarus. Now, the same one that they saw arrested, the same one that they saw Judas kiss on the cheek, the same one who had been beaten, the same one who had been whipped with the cat of nine tails, the same one who had been nailed to that old cruel cross, the same one that said, it is finished as he took his last breath, the same one who had been taken lifeless off of that cross, the same one that Joseph of Arimathea had taken and had placed his body in that tomb, the same one is now alive and well in their very midst. It was in that, the midst of his men, those disciples, they said, Thomas, Look at my wounds. Thomas, stick your hand in the piercing of my side. Could you imagine all the different emotions those men must have gone through? Then those men were an eyewitness to what we read of in Acts chapter number 1. As Jesus ascends to heaven. But he doesn't leave without giving them some final instructions. His men go into the whole world and tell them, I'm alive. Go into the whole world and tell them the one who is prophesied of. And we find the fulfillment in Luke chapter number 2. The Savior is come. The same one who was whipped and beaten, and crucified, and gave up his life, and came forth victorious out of the grave. You go tell them after you receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine as they watched Christ ascend into heaven? This is the one who we read of in Luke chapter number 2. Friend, this morning, I'm thankful 
for Luke chapter number 2. I'm thankful for the birth of our Savior. I'm thankful not just for the fact that he was born, but I'm thankful for why he was born. I'm thankful for the fact that the perfect Son of God would be willing to die for me. The perfect, I'm glad he died for you this morning. If you'll just permit me for just a moment, I'm more glad he died for me this morning. I'm glad that he paid for my sins. I'm glad that he was willing to leave heaven and be, be submitted to such cruel treatment so that he could pay my sin debt that he could pay for the sins of the world. And this morning, if you don't know for sure, you're on your way to heaven. Let me tell you, the Son of God, who we read of his birth in Luke chapter number 2, he came with a purpose, and it was to die for your sins. Because if I had to pay for my own sins, there's only one way I could do it, and that would be burned for all of eternity to pay for the sins that I've committed. We find the fact that he came. But friend, let me remind you of what I mentioned was the title of my message several minutes ago. Jesus has come, and he's coming again. The scripture teaches us that the time is going to come when the saints, the saved, are going to be raptured out of this earth. If you're saved this morning... You're going to enter into the presence of God either through the portal of death or we're going to be that generation that hears the trumpet sound and we are going to be raptured out of here. And where are we going to go? We're going to meet him in the sky. He's going to be waiting for us. He's going to say, blow the trumpet and we're going to be raptured out of here and we're going to meet our Savior in the air. But after the church is raptured out, human mind cannot even imagine what is going to take place on this earth. That great tribulation period that's going to take place and the torment that's going to take place to those who are left behind because they did not know the Savior in a personal way. But at the conclusion of that period of time, we find in Revelation chapter number 19. And I'll read from beginning with verse number 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16. And he hath on his vesture... And on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Friend, Jesus came the first time. Jesus came and born in a humble, humble place. He was laid in that instrument to which animals would come and eat out of. That's, That's where our Savior was laid. And 
all that Christ did as he came the first time and his ascension into heaven. But friend, let me tell you, he came the first time and I'm glad he came. He came the first time and I can stand today and rejoice in my salvation because he was willing to come. And if you're saved this morning, you shouldn't let a day go by where you don't look and cast a gaze to heaven and say, thank you, Lord, for saving someone as unworthy as I. Thank you for sending your son to pay my sin debt. Thank you, for, for Lord Jesus, for enduring all that you endured so that I might have salvation. But friend, let me tell you something. We celebrate Christmas to recognize the birth and to remember the birth of our Savior. We celebrate Easter to put an emphasis on the resurrection of our Savior. But let me tell you a holiday that we ought to celebrate every day, and that's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall return, and every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess the king of kings and the lord of lords we continue to read in chapter 20 verse number one and i saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up Set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones. They that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither hath received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Notice verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. It's a different story in Revelation chapter number 20 than Luke chapter number 2. I'm thankful for Luke chapter number 2. I'm thankful for the, for the birth of our Savior. I'm thankful for his, for his death and his sin sacrifice and paying my sin debt. I, I get excited every time I read of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, I, and I read the account of what Christ did for us 
and to think of all he did for all mankind and his ascension into heaven. I try and place myself in the presence of those men watching the Son of God ascend into heaven, knowing that the time's coming when that trumpet's going to sound. Friend, it could be today. When the trumpet sounds and those that are saved, we'd be called up out of here and we would be reunited with our Savior and our loved ones who have gone before us. But the day is coming when Christ is coming again. He's coming in a different manner than he came the first time. He's coming in a different fashion than he came the first time. He's coming with a different mission than he came the first time. He's not coming as the humble lamb, but he's coming as the conquering king and the king of kings and the Lord of lords will have his rightful place. The scripture tells us what will take place with those who never trusted him. Who never put their faith in him. But we continue reading in verse 1 of chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Let me read that again. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst the fountain of the water of life freely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Savior who came and was laid in that manger, the Savior who we read of in Luke chapter number 2, and we rejoice at His coming, is the same Son of God who was laid on that cross, the same Son of God who took upon Him the sins of the world, the same Son of God that came forth out of that tomb with something in His hand. It was called the keys to death in hell. The same Son of God that ascended into heaven is the same Son of God that we read of in Revelation chapter number 19. One day he's putting on that vesture dipped in blood. One day he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all the armies of the world who gather themselves to, 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 to fight him and to stand against him, they will be destroyed. Then there's that great white throne of judgment. The same Jesus that was mocked. The same Jesus that was crucified. The same Jesus that some sit in services just like this and when presented salvation, presented a savior, presented the one who came to pay their sin debt, rejected him and said, no, I'll not put my faith in what Jesus did. I'll keep my faith in me. I'll keep my faith in religion. It's the same Jesus that has been rejected by countless number of men who will sit on the throne and they will be judged by their own works. They'll be judged by their sin. But thankfully this morning, if you're saved, when God looks at our account, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfection of his son. He sees the perfection of the son of God. And those that knew not the Savior will be cast in that horrible place. But those of us who have trusted him, there's that new city. 
God will be our God. Can I just offer some comfort very quickly? There'll be no more funerals to attend. No more tears to be shed from the burdens that we bear. Because the hand of God himself will wipe away the tears. I read very quickly from chapter 21, verse 22, and I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb of the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it for the glory of God to enlighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The same one we read of in Luke chapter number 2. Same child who was laid in that manger. The same child who was worshipped by the shepherds on that day. is the same one who will be the light of the eternal city that the redeemed will reside in. Chapter 22, verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. I like verse number 7, and I'm skipping a lot this morning. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Down to verse number 12, And behold, I come quickly, and, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall write to him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testify these things saith, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Friend, this morning I have one purpose. I have one goal that the Lord pressed upon me to bring this to my heart this morning. I'll mention the two statements. Yes, yes, we're talking about the Christ child. We're talking about the one born and laid in a manger and having given a, just a very brief, a brief synopsis of the Son of God because the Scripture tells us that all the world could not contain all that Christ has done. But with all of this in mind, the backdrop of what we've said this morning, let me just make two statements. The first is you need to realize and recognize the significance of the Savior. Because without the Savior, all of us are at that great white throne of judgment. And this morning, without a Savior, all of us will pay for our own sins. This morning, I can stand and rejoice in the Son of God because I'm redeemed. I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. I received the gift that Christ himself came to provide. And friend, if you're not here this morning, you will perish in your sins if you don't accept Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you say, oh, I've heard of Christmas and, and I believe in Jesus and I, I even believe that he died for us. But until you put your faith and only your faith in Christ, you're going to have to pay for your own sins. There's two scenarios we read very briefly. There are those who face the, 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 the wrath and the anger of a holy God because they rejected Christ. And there's those who live forever in that new city with Christ's delight. You must realize the significance of the Savior, the gift that he offered. It's either accepted or rejected. Statement number two. Celebrate the beginning, but consider the end. 
There's a lot of Christians that rejoice in the beginning, and you should. But there's not enough Christians considering the end. Celebrate his birth. We should. Honor his birth. We should. Because of what he came to do. But consider the end. Christ could come today. That trumpet could sound today. Are you ready? First of all, would you hear it because you're saved? Would you hear it because you're the redeemed? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't know if you have another moment. You don't know if you have another church service. You don't know if you have another Christmas. You better get your salvation settled today. Christian, are you ready? Well, Christmas is almost here. I gotta, be, I gotta get ready. I've got so much I gotta do. I gotta get all this and this and this and this. And some of us, myself, may or may not be included. Christmas Eve, you're gonna be running around trying to get those last few gifts. Oh, I gotta be ready. I gotta be ready. Why? Because Christmas is gonna be here. The, the, the guests are gonna be here. Family's gonna be here. It, Christmas morning is coming. I gotta be ready. And be ready, friend, for Christmas. But you better be ready for the second coming of Christ. You better be ready. For the end, friend, this morning, if there's something you need to do to be ready, to get ready, I would urge you in just a moment, we have our time of invitation. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you ought to walk down this aisle and step out, and you ought to let somebody show you from the Scripture how you can be saved. And Christian, if there's something in your life undone, if there's something that you know you need to get repaired when it comes to your relationship with you and God. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Hey, Christmas time, let's celebrate Christmas. Let's celebrate the birth of our Savior. Easter rolls around, let's put the emphasis on the resurrection of our Savior. But friend, there's a holiday that the Christian ought to celebrate every day. And that's the fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, He is coming again. Will you be ready? Father, I pray.